Hello, and thank you for listening to the Green Room Podcast. I think you understand that a lot of people are unhappy with policing in this country, and it's not just criminals. A lot of law-abiding citizens see a problem with this institution as well. Well, my friend Jesse and I take a look at some of the different ways that we could deal with this issue. If you want to be updated about the show, you can follow it at facebook.com slash greenroompodcast. That's green with an E. You can also email me any questions you have at greenroom at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Hello, Jesse, and welcome to the Green Room Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So how do we know each other? Um, We go way back to high school, uh, tennis team associates uh from yep, Thibodeau, Louisiana. tennis uh tennis buds going on the bus to all the different trips far i don't know all around yep the exotic locales of south louisiana oh yeah we stopped at that kfc taco bell so many times or pizza hut taco bell so many times <laughs> sweet so what are we going to be talking about today uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, law enforcement and how I think we can make it better in the States. Perfect. Um, I have lots of thoughts and opinions. So I have no like particular background in this area, but uh, what what is your background? Why should we listen to your opinion on this? Well, uh, I have four years of experience as a probation and parole agent for uh, Louisiana Division of Probation and Parole Adult, um, where I was supervising convicted felons and helping them reassimilate into society and like get jobs and provide like on the spot mental health triage and also refer them to uh, higher tier mental health resources. Um, but it was Great. a complex job that also encompassed general law enforcement duties. So I was uh, doing arrests and search warrants and all the normal police type things that come along with those sorts of jobs. Um, and more recently, cause I have been out of that for, um, Four years now, I uh, joined the Air Force and I've been doing network infrastructure. So uh, routing, switching, all that fun stuff, IP packets and yada, yada. Awesome. So it sounds like I will be the one who doesn't know anything and I will have lots of questions for you, which will be great. Um, Absolutely. I'm excited to hear them. All right. So essentially, we're going to be talking about policing in the United States. We're going to be talking about uh, what the problem is, what are some of the causes of the problems to policing, um, to that problem, I guess. And then we'll, we'll go through some of the solutions uh, that Jesse uh, thinks are worthwhile. And I have done some research into other solutions. I don't know if he thinks they're worthwhile or not. We'll talk about it and see uh, what we come up with. So the overall problem of policing um that's a big one it, it is it's uh it's kind of hard to to pinpoint like just what's the one thing that's wrong with uh with our system and how we do things here just laying out some basic things i think a lot of people know there are a lot of people who uh have interactions with police officers and this ends up being a very unpleasant experience and obviously, if you are committing a crime, your interactions with the police officer is not necessarily going to be a very pleasant experience. But also, something like if you're just having a traffic stop, it it shouldn't be super terrible. Like it it should be you know minimally uncomfortable. And I think in particular, I I think it might be a problem, especially when you compare it to other countries, and you hear about how their police. In lots of other countries, you almost never even see the police, similar to how it happens in very affluent neighborhoods. And so, yeah, the interactions with police is is not great. I should list some of the things that are wrong. So, like, I don't know, we always hear about police planting drugs on people, police uh, shooting at people who don't necessarily deserve to be shot at, that type of thing. Um, just violence against other people um like people i don't know people in the back of a police car and then they show up at the station and for some reason they have all these mysterious injuries and bruises all over their bodies stuff like that so whew, that was a lot 
Um, <laughs> was, do you was. care to add anything there? That's just the um, stuff that came to mind. Yeah, no, those are all like really, really good points. Uh, we'll start with the um, unpleasant interactions. Like, yeah, it's really terrible that most people like get nervous whenever a police car's behind them or kind of try and shy away from police officers in public and stuff. They don't even want to be in close proximity because they're they like they view police as predators, which is very much not the image you want to have whenever you're like the protectors of community. You yeah. want to be <laughs> well-liked and you want people to be able to go to you and feel comfortable interacting with you so you can help them. Um, and you work together as community to, um, you know, come up with solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of uh, traffic stops, that's one of the, the really big uncomfortable things. And unfortunately, uh, depending on what you look like or, you know, your uh, ethnic background, it can go very poorly from you from what we see in the news a lot of times. So my, my proposal for that very particular problem, um, you're, you're very right. Other countries, I lived in Germany for two years. You barely ever saw the Pulitzer. Um, except in the parts where Americans frequented because they're there to kind of like make sure we didn't get too drunk and ruin their town. I understand. Um, but traffic stops, non-existent. Uh, the way they do that, well, not non-existent. Obviously, if you're driving really recklessly, you're, you you'd get pulled over. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of speeding, things like that, uh, traffic cameras, they, they have traffic cameras. kind of sucks, but you know, you, you know where they are for the most part. They, no person needs to be a part of this. Yeah. You know, you, you just <laughs> drive accordingly. Plus, you're on the Autobahn most of the time anyway if you're going throughout the country and there's no speed limit. So, but yeah, it just takes a very tense. That's one way to make sure <laughs> no speed limits can't break that law. It, it, it makes it completely unnecessary. It's like you don't have to even worry about that tense situation with the cops and them being scared because approaching a car is a very dangerous situation because you can't mm-hmm. see what the person's doing and they can quickly grab a gun for instance, or something like that and shoot back Mm -hmm. at you. But it just eliminates that entire thing and you don't have to worry about no traffic stops. Everybody's happy. One, one less time to feel like they're uh, prey being pursued by some sort of predator in this decked out, blacked out car with a faceless uh, person chasing after them. Um, Yeah. I, I remember reading somewhere that uh, traffic stops is like one of the most intense situations uh interactions with the police officer on the from the perspective of the person being stopped but also from the perspective of the police officer because like it's it's stressful for everybody all around and like if you can reduce the number of times that that happens you're going to reduce the number of times something can go wrong when that happens and i don't know i think that's a basic type of thing that we don't i, I don't see it like being pushed often often enough well, I I, th- I think by and large that kind of just goes to our, our American way of thinking where it traffic cameras are kind of – it's not really like a violation of your amendments necessarily, but I, I think that's kind of like a public conception is like I, I should be able to drive however I want. If no one's there to see me doing something wrong, like uh, am I really doing anything wrong or <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not phrasing that very well, but – that's fine. Yeah, it's it's like people would almost just prefer to be able to get away with it sometimes and not deal with the speeding cameras, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, um, being responsible. They'd rather that tense situation than guaranteed getting <laughs> caught and having to pay a fine. It seems like. Yeah. I, no, I'd much prefer traffic cameras. I mean, they show the number of accidents in cities. Well, so technically, the number of accidents I think stays about the same. The number of fender benders where one car hits the brake because they don't want to go through the red light and then somebody else comes up and hits them from behind generally they're already slowing down so it's not a huge deal that number goes up but the number of like super dangerous t-bone collisions goes down and so you actually have fewer deaths um which is red light cameras which is preferable than dying yeah i'd rather more fender benders and fewer deaths and then yeah. eventually people learn, hey, maybe you don't try to run every red light. Maybe uh, just take your time a little bit. Leave earlier. Um, right. And uh, also uh, the with the German traffic cameras too, it's like a, a point system. So your your first uh, ticket was like uh, 20 euro. So maybe like 25 bucks USD. Hmm. Um, so not that bad. It's like, hey, we saw you do this wrong. You know, here's a little warning. Give us 25 euro. You're all done. 
you do it again, it goes up slightly. I think it might go up by uh, 10 euro. Um, after that, it goes up to like maybe 60 euro and you might have a court date. So it's like oh, a, wow. a stepping stone. And like the first yeah. three steps, not that bad. So if you don't learn after three times, then I mean, that's kind of on you. Right. And that reminds me of a story about like stupidly rich people who just like park in a no parking zone and they're like, you can't park here. And then, and then the the rich person's like, no, it's fine. It just costs like $400 or something (laughs) like, like that's the price to park there as opposed to you're paying a fine for having done something wrong. Um, Uh, So I, I hope that that type of thing scales up infinitely based, you know, if they just keep doing it, they keep paying more and more until at some well, point it's going to The, the ultimate consequence is you getting your license taken away once you, you have too many of those tickets on your record. Yeah, also for a good a idea. a certain amount of time. So it does get very serious, but yeah, easily preventable. So, so earlier you said something about the approach that Americans have to like thinking about these type of things. And it reminded me, I listened to a podcast. I was talking about, uh, there was a, person in new york who recently was pushed into the train tracks and the subway as the train came by and so they kept uh emphasizing how much uh i guess the police union there probably lots of people in general were pushing how we need to increase the number of police officers in the in the subway stations and on the trains um but apparently that number is already very high, much higher than people would expect um, who don't frequent New York subways. And then it turns out that there's actually a much cheaper solution, which is just to put barriers between the station and the train, and it just opens up at the doors. And like when I was in Japan, they had this. They have it in Las Vegas. Like most places in the world that have trains have just a wall so you can't really fall onto the tracks or you can't Mm -hmm. get pushed onto the tracks and like it's so much cheaper and like easier to deal with than hiring police officers who again will lead to more interactions which is more stressful for everybody um and it's just like we just have a weird way of trying to solve problems sometimes like there's a pretty easy solution it's a little bit technical but like we know how to do it. It's not that hard. And I don't know, we just need to get more creative with our solutions sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's see. What is the next thing that uh, you see as a problem or solution to our policing woes? Um, I think one solution or at least uh, one of, one of the causes of a lot of issues that we have with like uh with the police force is the um, training in terms of the quality and consistency of training that uh, we are getting and mm-hmm. also how frequently training is done. So for instance, uh, speaking to frequency, uh, you have to requalify with your firearm once a year. And in between that yearly requalification, you train quarterly uh, with your firearm. And you mm-hmm. might get, depending on budget constraints, you might shoot about 100 rounds, which in the grand scheme of things, 100 rounds every three months. Not a whole hell of a lot. Whenever you have a really deadly tool at your disposal where you mm-hmm. want to make sure you're very accurate in a very stressful situation where you don't have very good fine motor control anymore and you're having an adrenaline dump. Um, but it's like, oh, you know, whatever, bare minimum, we'll just do it every three months. Mm-hmm. Um and that's not very good because that's a highly perishable skill, just like a lot of other things we learn, like safely. Um, the opposite of riding a bicycle. Handling people who are resisting um, and just every, everything we do. It's, it's, a, it's a fine fine skill, even though it doesn't seem like it. Just the mm-hmm. something as simple as handcuffing someone the correct way to where you're not hurting them and to where you're being safe and it's less likely they'll resist. Um you, you, you really don't get enough training with that type of stuff very often. Um, it's like all it, sorts of training, not just firearm training. Not just firearm. That was just uh, uh, the example on the top of my head because that could be yeah. the potentially most disastrous one um, if you just right. discharge your firearm and you're not proficient with your, your weapon. Um, so, yeah, frequency just isn't there when re- we should just be training a lot. Even if that means having enough staff 
um, to where you could rotate guys out so they could focus on training for a little bit before they, they go back and, you mm-hmm. know, they're refreshed. And My wife is a nurse, nurse educator. Actually, she's changing positions now, but she is in charge of making sure that the nurses are up to date on all of their training. Mm-hmm. And I was, I found some of the statistics. I don't have them on me, but I found some of the statistics that the police officers have to do to keep up with their certifications and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the nurses have like four times as much or something. Like it is ridiculous how much, well, I guess not how much the nurses have to train. It's ridiculous how little the police officers have to train. <laughs> I, I would um, agree with that a hundred percent. I was going to say, do you know much about the training required to become a police officer in the first place? Not even like keeping up your credentials. I, I can still speak to that too. The, the initial training. Um, so it really just depends where, where you are. Um, so South Louisiana, for instance, uh, police academies for say Lafouche Parish, where we come from, their training academy, not that long. They don't really have a budget to do this big, long, in-depth training academy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be, I think it's three months. Um, whereas I went to a state training academy, but it was still only three months long. And I think I had one week of probation and parole specific training, which is like all of the paperwork and, uh, legal oh, stuff yeah. you have to deal with, things like that. Um, and what's sorely lacking in those trainings to teach you how to do a professional job. It's not just like, you know, some little part-time thing. Uh, they don't teach you anything about like, okay, they do teach you about de-escalation, but they don't focus on it at all. Like, I think I yeah. had one little section of a class about verbal judo, which they explained very poorly about like, Oh, if you're in a tense situation, uh, you know, verbal judo, it's like, but what, what does that <laughs> even mean? <laughs> like, like de-escalation is probably one of the most important skills you can have in this job. Just being able to talk to people and put them at ease and just being empathetic in general. Uh, right. Most important skill you could have, um, which is a, it's a skill. You can learn that. If you're not very empathetic, you can practice that and get better. But yeah, uh, going back to the frequency again, the, the frequency just, just isn't there. We, we do our firearms. Uh, we have to get CPR requalified, uh, yearly. Um, mm-hmm. but it's just like so few and far between all of these really critical skills to the job. Just, yeah, we'll, we'll just do it at the bare minimum. Podcast listeners can't see, but I'm holding up a book that my wife brought home, which is techniques for effective aggression management. <laughs> and so not only like do the nurses have their trainings, but I think they specifically have more trainings on dealing with aggressive patients than police officers. But like, that's a main part of the police officer's job. And it's yeah, just, we're, we're talking to not happy people cause we're usually catching them doing something wrong. So it's like, nobody wants to get caught. Yeah. So you better be good at calming them down. So yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous <laughs> that we, we don't focus on that enough. Um, granted it, Going to uh, the other thing I brought up was just uh, the consistency of training across the board for different departments and all Mm -hmm. these different agencies. So there's no like overarching standardized training uh, curriculum for police officers. They have all these different um, certifying boards like Louisiana has post. And I think some of the southeastern states also use post peace officer certified standards uh, training. I think is what that stands for. So they have all these different governing bodies depending on the region that you're in. And sure, more or less, they all have like similar types of trainings, but there's no like validated, we know these trainings work. We should onboard every single department in the States because these have been successful. Um, we've noticed that, you know, there's, there's good trends. People are doing better at uh, de-escalating because they've had these trainings. There's, there's nothing mm-hmm. like that. There's no consistency. Uh, it's not really enough research into it. Yeah, and there there really should be. We've uh, had police for a long time now. It seems like you know right. we would keep track of those stats to try and get better, rather than keeping track of stats to you know do do nothing with them essentially, or just try to cook books <laughs> to make us look better. Um, yeah, it's it's just wildly inconsistent. I, I don't know if you saw. There's a news story about uh they have this uh, honestly insane man who uh who puts on this course called Killology. It sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, and I don't even know what this guy's like, his his credentials are, but I think he's just some dude who probably had a brother who worked somewhere and 
was able to get him the job training. All <laughs> these guy who knew a guy, big police departments. But nepotism. I, I remember one of the clips was uh, he was saying like, in order to catch killers, you have to be a killer yourself. Or like it was like, no, Calm you're down, not, bro. You don't want to tell people who are actively trying to protect and preserve life um, in the community to kill people. Like, so you just have these crazy off the wall trainings at some places that are like considered important air quotes uh, Mm -hmm. by the departments for whatever reason. And you're just planning these highly toxic and terrible ideals into young recruits heads that might be new, who might not know better or. And, and I imagine they think that they're preparing them for the worst, but I think inadvertently they might also be teaching them to behave the worst or like, you know. Yeah. Hyper aggressively. It's like, this will happen. You're going to have to kill someone every day. Like, yeah, I get it. You want to be prepared, but you don't want your uh, police officers to become hypervigilant, which is a, a very real and terrible thing, which I've experienced myself where you just do the job for so long and you're in these terrible places all the time that you kind of are just constantly like looking around thinking something bad's going to happen. So mm-hmm. whenever you're also filling people's heads with bullshit, like you have to be a killer to catch a killer, that's just a recipe for disaster. You're, you're basically uh, brainwashing people to just be soldiers on the streets, which is not what we're <laughs> supposed to be. Um, oh, I also read somewhere that uh, just related to that training stuff that a cosmetologist often has to have a longer period of training than a police officer, which is just like, just why? mind-boggling yeah um i mean i I understand you don't want to mess up people's faces uh that would be bad but you know (laughs) i you also don't want people to die or get wrong wrongfully uh convicted or uh charged with stuff and yeah um but yes also uh i almost forgot uh yeah uh training in other countries like uh going back to germany because that's my biggest point of reference for foreign uh policing Mm -hmm. is they have a police college. Like everyone goes to the same police university if they want to become a police officer, no matter what part of Germany, uh, no matter what Bundesland, which are their, their federal states that they go to, mm-hmm. they all go to the same college, which I think is two or three years. So it's like a legit like degree. Degree. You have a policing degree, basically. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a profession where you need a lot of training and you have to have a lot of varied skills. I actually saw people with a degree, police officers with a degree, and female police officers are um, less likely to like resort to violence, or they have like fewer complaints against them, or something like that. Um, yeah, by about one to three percent. So it's not a huge amount, but it is. I mean, depending on the number of stops, that is a hundred lives a year, possibly. Like that. Yeah, is important. <laughs> Yeah, very, very much so. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, you, the critical thinking skills you pick up uh, that are associated with you getting a college education uh, as opposed yeah. to just someone thinking more emotionally. They're not sitting there analyzing. Granted, it's hard to analyze some of those hairier situations on the spot where like, you have to think really quickly and just make a decision. Um, but yeah, it still gives you that little bit of an edge to where you're just not some ape pounded on your chest immediately <laughs> resorting to violence whenever something bad goes down. It's like... Yeah, yeah. We're, we're humans. That's kind of how we're wired on a, a primal level, but that's not how civilized society works anymore. So yeah, uh, I, I think it should be a, a professional pursuit. You should have to have a degree. It should be a requirement, or you should have to go to some extensive like police college or a combination mm-hmm. of both because you'll still need to train for it even if you have a degree ahead of time. There's a lot of skills you still need to pick up. Yeah, yeah. so we're, we're just doing it all wrong here. No one's getting enough training. So yeah, we need better training. We need uh, training in better topics like de-escalation and things like that. Um, Absolutely. Also, I always thought it was a little wild that in order to study law, you have to train, you have to go to school for like, I don't know, 10 years sometimes. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. But to enforce the law, three-week boot camp, that's all you need. Like, yeah, which it's just a little odd. Yeah, because laws are... I, I don't know how much you've studied law yourself, but yeah, it's it's just very cryptic wording. Um, <laughs> Most of it is about technicalities. Yeah, it's all about technicalities and finding loopholes. But at least whenever you're charging someone, you absolutely 100% need to know like why you're charging them. So you charge them with the correct thing. 
mm-hmm. and uh, to make sure you're, you're not violating any of their rights. It's like, what do they actually do? Can I construe this based on what's laid out in the law? Um, and yeah, it's yeah. three three weeks is definitely not enough. You need to you need to be almost as knowledgeable as a lawyer. Obviously, you're, you're not the one arguing for them in court or anything like that, but you still need to have a, wor- a good working knowledge. I'm just imagining a lawyer cop and how that should be a TV show. <laughs> it would be terrible because the lawyer would always be waffling back and forth. <laughs> yeah, no, lawyers definitely don't think quickly enough to, to be able to do uh, the actual enforcement side of the job. They're too busy thinking of hypotheticals to actually take action. <laughs> yeah. Well, did I really have enough fear or something? I don't know. Um, yeah. All right. So what's the next thing that uh, you wanted to talk about? Um, periodic mental health checks and like uh, mandatory R&R. So you okay? You've you've been working for this many months. Uh, so it's time for you to take a mandatory vacation, like rest, recharge, because the mm-hmm. uh, touching back on the hypervigilance that I mentioned earlier, very very real thing. Like you're constantly seeing the worst sides of people and being in terrible situations that you you just get to the point where you're always amped up and looking for something or you you know looking over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's very important that uh, you have to use vacation days periodically and also that you're checking in with a mental health professional periodically as well to get things off of your chest with someone who knows how to kind of like gently lead you in a direction to, to talk about things and right. help you and uh, process all of those, those things you see. Because I mean, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough to see some of those things and do some yeah. of those things to people. I mean, we already don't focus enough on mental health as a country, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Based on the podcasts I listen to, they always have advertisements for some of the online ones now, which is great. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. I've been seeing those pop up. That That is really good. <laughs> Step in the right and, direction. Yeah. And that's for just like, I mean, they're advertising that to just any rando who listens to a podcast, which I'm not right. saying they don't need mental health uh, services. But if you're in a stressful job like policing, you probably really, really need it. Even if you think you don't, I mean, absolutely, it's it's going to help you no matter what, or at least if you're regularly checking in, it'll be, it'll, you know, make sure that everybody's in a good spot to do what they need to do in order to stay safe. Right. And you you can pull someone who's unstable before they become an issue on the streets. Right. And I mean, that's probably why they don't want to, because they don't want to get pulled from doing their job. Yeah, uh, which is where all the stigma comes from. It's like, oh, if I talk to this head shrinker, they're gonna they're gonna say something and get me get me pulled off. I'm gonna be on desk duty. I might possibly have lose my job, my livelihood. Yeah, if we only we were more okay with taking vacation time, and then <laughs> it like wouldn't be such a big deal. It's like, well, now you need to use your vacation time. Just do it. Yeah, that uh, that's you. The whole American culture of uh, <laughs> stigmatized vacation time and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And just not not having enough of it either. Uh, right, it's just not great. To- totally off subject, but maternity leave here. Uh, <laughs> what is it like three three months for uh, two two to three months? Uh, so technically, well, when my wife had her babies, she was on she was put on temporary disability oh. because having a baby is is temporarily disabled, which is already like just shows that they're clearly not approaching this the right way. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the I guess insurance systems and stuff like that. Um, oh God, yeah, that's a whole yeah, other it's thing. A, it's a, I don't even know if it's three months. I think it's six weeks. Is like six a weeks. standard. It's pretty low in most places in Europe. Uh, Germany, I know for sure, is up to a year. Like they they yeah. won't sweat you. You keep you your job. It's like hey, go go have some time with your kid. Bond you recover and get your life back together after this major life event and yeah. come on back to work. Even the, uh, the, the husbands also get maternity leave right. as maternity, well. Paternity leave. And yeah. honestly it makes sense because um, for my second baby, especially like he did not sleep through the night until about a year. <laughs> and like I'm being woken up multiple times throughout the year. And that's fine for me because I work at a, computer all day and like it's not a big deal if you're in a job where there are people's lives on the line and you're already not getting a lot of sleep and that type of thing like that's just extra shitty and is not going to put you in a good spot to be a safety officer yeah yeah to bring it back around yeah no definitely (laughs) sleep deprivation it's uh, definitely not good for um making good decisions in stressful times um 
But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that would have a profound effect on uh, hypervigilance and those people who are so edgy in like uh, situations like uh, Philando Castile and stuff like that, where he's like, oh, I have a gun in my car. I'm not going to reach for it here in my hands. And you right. have this, this poor guy. Not that I'm defending him. He was 100% wrong. The police officer. But just watching the video and seeing his reaction after he did what he did, you, I, I saw true remorse on that face. After he pulled that trigger, he was like, what What did I do? Whether it was remorse because he's like, oh, I just took a life, or whether it was remorse because like, oh, shit, I'm going to go to jail and lose my job. I don't know. Right. I'd like to think it was the, the former. Um, but yeah, shit like that probably wouldn't happen if uh, you're, you're, you're doing those periodic vacations, those mandatory vacations, and you're getting time to rest and recharge and yeah. you aren't so jumpy. That'd be great. And is an indictment on all of America not displeasing. <laughs> so another thing is uh the the screening hiring process uh man is is that a beast it's so hard because they have things in place that try to catch like you know the crazy people from getting the job people with uh certain mental issues uh people who are prone to abusing power like whenever i was uh applying for probation parole i had to take this um big long psychological inventory which is based on the uh mmpi the minnesota multiphasic uh personality inventory which is a mm-hmm. highly validated um psychological inventory that's used like all over the place and is pretty pretty accurate um so that was part of it and then they have uh they had law enforcement specific questions like uh things like do you do you think police officers should be like professional athletes and do you think it's more sad if a police officer uh, leaves a widowed spouse as opposed to a regular person and ask stuff like that. Yeah, it was, it was kind of bizarre. Uh, okay. But yeah, they, they have things like that in place, which is good. I think that will rule out like some severely disturbed individuals, but you have, you have people who are a little more sly than that, who can see mm. what's going on in those tests and could game the system essentially. So it's like, how, right. how do you root those people out? What are you going to do? So I guess they're, their solution to that, if they can get past that part, is, uh, I guess, the interview process. You, you go in front of the board, but that's normal for any job. Uh, but also they have uh, polygraphs. Polygraphing is a, a, a really commonplace thing during the hiring process for a lot of bigger departments that can afford to do it. I've heard most polygraphs don't work well. or that Yeah, they're, they're bullshit. They're not even admissible in court yet. Okay. <laughs> You still use them uh, during during the application process to like rule people out, which mm-hmm. I think their rationale behind the polygraph is it's a really stressful situation, and they try and they try and shake you up, they try and see how you do under pressure. That's the yeah. only thing I could see it be being used as a, a valid tool in those situations. Like, how's this guy handle stress and getting grilled? Some people are also just really good at lying, like. Uh, right. They, they don't have those physiological responses. So it's like, why why even do it? What, what is this actually catching? You're, again, not catching the people who were smart enough to game the uh, psychological test. So you think mm-hmm. this is going to catch them? No, they're, they're probably <laughs> uh, sociopaths and they don't care about lying. Right. It seems like the mental health visits that we talked about would be a much better, like, I don't know, avenue for yes. this. Uh, so after the fact, because... Yeah, I'm kind of rambling on this. Uh, I don't really know a perfect solution for the hiring process. I just know it needs to be better because you're probably losing out a lot of good candidates on some of these tests you are using. Obviously not the, the, the psychological part. I think whoever fails that probably, you know, shouldn't. <laughs> that should be done right there. Um, yeah. But yeah, polygraphs. Some people just get nervous because they know what that entails. So you mm-hmm. might lose someone who's perfectly fine under under pressure in a real situation um and dealing with people and de-escalating and things like that and you might lose that that perfectly good canon and get the guy who's you know gonna abuse power and hurt people and doesn't care and just doing the job just because and this is not so much uh, about the hiring process but i guess just uh mm-hmm. dealing with getting qualified candidates so i guess uh, indirectly it does deal with uh, the hiring process but um just the 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 pay like the the pay is not there to bring in people who are intelligent and qualified right and get paid better somewhere else and to a dangerous job it's like hey man we really want qualified people but like we're not going to pay you shit and we're going to put you in harm's <laughs> way on a on a daily basis and uh you know yeah how's that sound to you you, you got an advanced <laughs> degree yeah come on down we'll pay uh 13 an hour to to live yeah. in a place with apartments that cost like uh 
three thousand a month. Sign me up. <sighs> yeah, it doesn't sound particularly. What are you supposed to do with that? It's similar to the dilemma with teachers, except yeah, teachers aren't quite in harm's way in the same way that police officers are. I I do think police officers get paid more. Hope hopefully. I don't know if I even want to say hopefully, but so. I, I live in Virginia right now. My girlfriend's actually, she's a kindergarten teacher. I think oh. she takes home like low 50s, low which 50s. average rent for an apartment here is probably uh, 15 to $1,600 a month. Yeah, that sounds about right. So she's already going over that, like, you know, don't pay more than a third of your income a month on your, uh, your rent or your dwelling. Mm-hmm. Um and they are also overworked just just like police they work long hours because you know everyone knows after the workday or some people might not know after the workday of a teacher they go home and they have to do more planning tweaking their lessons for the next day they might prep like little projects for their kids grades yeah yeah, yeah all all that stuff all sorts of stuff so it it, it, it never stops so yeah it's the uh, the same problem that we're having with teachers it's like you want really qualified professional people but what are what are you offering? them to entice them to want to do that job especially and with policing where it's like hey come do this dangerous thing but we're not going to pay you anything i have a bunch of various notes on things and i'm just going to go through some of them to see what jesse thinks about them and we might talk about them a little bit so the first one is going to be no knock raids no knock raids what a thing um so the whole idea behind a no knock raid is uh you have sensitive evidence that's in the house that would be destroyed if you gave mm-hmm. someone warning. So a lot of instances that amounts to drugs, which I mean, mm-hmm. drugs what does it even really matter. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you, you want to get the drop on a potentially dangerous situation. So you have that, that tactical edge going to this house. I think in the perfect world, if you're a hundred percent certain all the time that you were hitting the right place, yeah, I, I can see like a, a necessity for, for no-knock rates. Um, but I do think it is a tool that gets okayed a little too often and for situations mm-hmm. that aren't that serious. Um, like yeah. you really, really, really don't need to be busting down doors for low-level drug dealers or something like that. Or, right. you know. I mean, most drug offenses probably, in my opinion, should be decriminalized anyway. And so you wouldn't even have to be doing stuff for that. So I'm I'm 100% with you on decriminalization for um for possession because I mean you're just at the end of the day you're throwing uh, a junkie in jail where they're not getting any sort of treatment or services so they're right. pretty much going through withdrawals and as soon as they come out they're like man I really want to do some goddamn drugs now I haven't done it in like you know however long yeah um yeah it's 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 crazy uh very very flawed system but I know this is off topic from no knock raids. Uh, the reason those uh, people in possession of drugs do end up uh, even getting sentences is because you, you use that as leverage to try and get information to get dealers. So right. it's an unfortunate tool to, uh, to gather intel so you can hopefully take drugs off the streets. But, you know, obviously you can see that doesn't work very well. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of drugs now particularly like part of the opium epidemic is um, doctors prescribing drugs. To- yeah. Over prescribing opioids, which it only takes a matter of like one to two weeks to get addicted to, to pain pills. And if you're on yeah. like, yeah, no, no time at all. And I think recently Purdue pharma, is that the company recently a big medicine company, pharma company had to pay out huge, massive lawsuits or I don't know. There's some shit going down with the Sacklers. I want to say, Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's see the next bit. So some of this, I don't know if it's, it's, it might just be facts that I think people ought to know. Uh, right now we have the highest, uh, homicide rate in 25 years. It's a big spike. Um, I think according to the best research, most of it is due to pandemic and economic woes and not due to police budgets. Um, the police currently right now have the highest budgets that they ever had. There were all these talks about you know, within the past year or two about defunding police. Mm-hmm. And that has not happened. I think maybe in one or two districts this happened. And then later on, they their budget got increased back to where it was or even higher. So like we are spending more money on policing than we have ever spent on policing. And yet police unions will constantly say that they need more and more money. And it's a tricky business because uh, we're in the highest crime rate right now. 
and the police unions are getting more money than they've ever gotten in history. And so it just doesn't quite add up. It's not as simple as some people like to make it out. Yeah, where, where's where's that money going that uh that these inflated budgets like who who no we're not getting paid. Police officers aren't getting paid. Right. That's for sure. Uh yeah, budgets are <laughs> mi- mismanaged to say the least cuz like in most cases they're probably not buying a new equipment either which is something that's really important um they're not training us uh yeah police departments love to show off when they buy like a new tank or some ridiculous thing oh yeah that's pretty (laughs) that's pretty wild stuff and just rolling them out casually like oh hey tanks look what we got don't mess up I did see some research that actually showed, which I was surprised by, that for the addition of every 10 officers prevents one homicide. And oh. I think I was it was a little ambiguous. It said that the effect on black people killed is twice that, which I interpret to mean the number of black people killed is two. Sorry, for every 10 officers, there are two fewer black people killed. And that, that also kind of I, I'm I'm going to assume it means two less die or I'm gonna hope it means two less uh, black people die. Um, that would be ideal. But that would also kind of uh, lead to ask like, does that mean that we're also just over policing those communities too? Mm-hmm. Oh, so at the bottom of my list, I actually have a thing that was talking about how black communities are simultaneously over and under policed. So the police officers will go around and like in New York, it was a huge thing. Stop and frisk for several years where they would just go around and hassle any black person they saw and, and pat them down for drugs. And, but they weren't actually doing anything to like to, to, to do the main things that was needed to help in Philadelphia. Crime fell whenever police targeted very specific spots, as opposed to like an entire community, they would like, they would know in this very particular corner or like block that a lot of crime would happen. So they would focus on that very specific area. And what that ended up doing is they found criminals who were, you know, generally doing violent things and then they would lock them up and then the neighborhood would be safer and the trust in police actually went up as opposed to like with stop and frisk. Now nobody trusts the police and the trust in the police goes down. And so that's why in Philadelphia, I think, is one of the few areas that has decreased uh, crime in the past year or two, whereas it's going up pretty much everywhere else. And I mean, honestly, <laughs> innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, you're, you're, you, you should be doing targeted police work. You know, you need mm-hmm. things like probable cause, reasonable suspicion to even like act and do something to someone. You can't just go around hassling people. So, yeah, yeah it absolutely makes sense that yeah, you're doing good police work and you're gathering evidence and you're paying attention to things so you can actually be effective at stopping crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that just makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, yeah. Imagine that. Um, but it also, yeah, whenever you're just like, okay, we're going to over-police this entire type of community because statistics, I don't know. It says this type of person does this type of thing more often than everyone else, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, if you're only gathering information from that particular area because that's the only place you're working and leaving everyone else alone, well, of course, you're going to get numbers skewed in that direction. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, no, I've seen some research that shows um, essentially like black people and white people use drugs at just about the same rate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but but like when you look at the number of actual, uh, I guess, sentences, then it's like way different what you see. Because you're paying more attention to, Yeah. Because of uh, stereotypes and whatnot. But also uh, just focusing on an entire area as opposed to, yeah, gathering information and acting upon that. uh, You can get too much information, too much useless information that just kind of Mm -hmm. bogs you down. So you can't focus on the important things. That happens a lot in like intel gathering. It's like going to get an MRI for no reason, like a full body MRI. You're going to find something weird because everybody has something weird. But if it's not causing you a problem it, it's probably okay yeah that's a that's a very good parallel uh f- yeah fo- focus on things that will actually pan out rather than just gather- being inundated with a bunch of useless information that bogs you down and causes you to like well we need to make numbers so uh it looks mm-hmm. like you guys aren't doing anything just go <laughs> fucking arrest people and hassle yeah. them and oh find my something. gosh having a arrest requirement like a number that you have to reach is terrible 
It is. And so I had a friend who, um, he worked with me at probation parole, but then he went over to state police. He said they don't really have quotas, Mm -hmm. but if you perform at a certain level and then another month, it's like you didn't perform at the same level. They're like, well, what were you doing with your time? So it's more of a, it's not a hard and fast rule that you have to do so much of this. It's just a matter of them questioning what you're doing with your time. If you're, you don't have a lot of arrest numbers or, you know, yeah. What are you even doing? I'm building yeah. trust. <laughs> Which is very important. <laughs> All right. I got two things left. I saw that crime actually went down with the increase in video games because kids were inside playing video games more and they weren't outside committing crimes which is just so counter to what you often hear in the narrative is that these violent video games are making kids go do violence. And it's like, no, that is not at all what is happening. Uh, The evidence says otherwise. You can account for their whereabouts. And also uh, it's just a a form of catharsis. Yeah, it might be horrible, terribly violent, like Grand Theft Auto, you're carjacking (laughs) people and killing prostitutes. But like, yeah, there's nothing that says that that directly correlates to those kids then going out and committing violent acts. If anything, it's like, it's the opposite. It shows that they're not doing it. Yeah. An outlet to where they're not, they don't feel like they have to commit violent acts on other people because they're like, eh, yeah, whatever. Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. All right. So this last bit, which could be its own podcast. So there's this overarching idea, which talks about how we need policing in order to keep our communities safe. And there's not enough emphasis, I think, um, on what specifically on on preventing violence and so if you go to like a really wealthy neighborhood where the crime rate is very low the crime rate is not low because there are police walking around constantly the crime rate is low because everybody has health insurance everybody has a good job that pays well everybody like there's parks and and activities and things for people to do and like we don't focus enough on that i think as a country and we should be spending way more money on all of those things. And then the yeah, crime rate will people, go down. The community and infrastructure. So yeah, people have things to do. Taking care of your citizenry. Yeah, yeah, There was, I did see that like policing is a, uh, I guess safety is a two-prong approach because policing technically does help with the short-term safety of a community, but only the short-term and if you invest in all these other things, education, I didn't say education earlier and education is probably the biggest one um, Absolutely. because it leads to all those other things. If you invest in all in the community, then the danger rate, the, the crime rate goes down. And so we just really need to be doing that more. No, I, I, I agree, which is why uh, like whenever defund the, the police is really big uh, after George Floyd and everything uh, mm-hmm. immediately in the wake of that. Um, I was all up in arms because I was like, no, my boys, they're, they're going to lose their jobs. I might not have work later down the road if I choose to pursue that, that path again, which I, I'm heavily considering. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was definitely very disheartening and scary to hear that. But I, I definitely can see the merits of uh, the whole defund movement. Like, no, we're not going to completely get rid of the police, but we're going to invest in these, these social services and uh, community services and everything to kind of help prevent things before they get to this level, Um, which I think is a really great idea. And plus police budgets are so bloated and they're not spending money on the right things anyway. Mm -hmm. Really. I think cities and um, states really need to, to take a look into from, from an outside unbiased person, of course, not, you know, internal people doing these investigations, but see what they're really spending the money on and be like, okay, well, uh, you just have all this extra money that you're just spending because you have to, so you can keep your budget for the next year. Instead, mm-hmm. we're going to take that and really push mental health, really push like uh, uh, safe injection sites or, you, you know, just stuff, right. stuff like that. Um, which I a hundred percent agree with. And also I psychology background. So I see the need for all those things. Um, yeah. <sighs> yeah. But uh, another thing I think is so important is like, we ask police to do so much. We ask them to like go to, I mean, we're asking them to do traffic stops. We're asking them to hunt down criminals. We're asking them to respond to all these domestic calls. If there's like a, a mentally ill person in the street and like they're showing up to do all these jobs, which as we point out earlier, they are not specifically trained for. And 
like it's a lot for one person or for you know a one job to be able to do and there are other places um that have uh like specific people so like there if whenever you call 911 they'll ask you if like this seems like this person's mentally ill and so a like psychologist emergency type team will come out who's like specifically trained in de-escalation mm-hmm. or um i've heard of having traffic officers who uh don't actually have any guns and then as that becomes a standard, people don't aren't as scared of a traffic stop because they're not worried right. about getting shot by police officers, something like that. And like, um, you know, if there's a bunch of angry dogs coming out, not having a police officer come and dealing with the dogs, having like spe- specific dog patrol people like we used to have, mm-hmm. I suppose we might still have some of that, but it, you know, you don't hear about it as often. And just like asking police to do less other things that are outside of their scope, reducing the scope of policing, and then having people who are specialized in each of these areas. It's part of why, you know, factories work because a bunch of different people are specialized in their own different things. And then together they can build something better by each having their own specializations. Right. More efficiently and everything. Same with doctors with uh, specialties and everything. Right. Um, yeah, no, uh, I, I definitely agree with that. If so, I don't agree with sending just uh a psychologist by themselves to uh, a dangerous situation. <laughs> Say someone's barricaded inside of a house and they're potentially Not armed. A psychologist, like, but like a, a yeah, no, a, a, a specialized response. police officer who's like, yeah. okay, you're 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 our de-escalation <laughs> team. Uh, you you guys are like the first responders if it's this type of situation. I right. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. Uh, kind of having having more specialization, letting people go those routes. So yeah, you can more effectively deal with those different things. And that way, division of labor. There's a group in, I think it's in Colorado. There's a town mm-hmm. that has a group called Cahoots. And so uh-huh. I forget <clears throat> what it stands for. But basically, it's whenever you call 911, the dispatcher will either call a police officer or call Cahoots based on what the issue is. And, you know, if it's like a, a person who's on drugs but isn't like particularly violent or anything or like, mm-hmm. I don't know, minimally so, they know how to deal with it. Um, or sometimes the cahoots person and the police officer will show up, but the cahoots person goes first mm. and then only res- brings in the police officer if it's asked for, if they feel like that's needed for their safety type of thing. And I'm, I'm absolutely 100% a fan of something like that. Like yeah. you send the, the innocuous, benign person in who's there to help because, yeah, the presence of a police officer sometimes because of a really bad perception mm-hmm. uh, could – potentially make that situation worse just by his mere presence. So yeah, having him like on the sidelines just in case something goes wrong. I think they took over like more than 50% of the calls, which was mm-hmm. great because now the police can focus on what the police are good at. Solving crimes. And it also helps like it was cheaper overall in the long <laughs> run for the city budget. And so like there's no downsides. Everybody should be doing this by now. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and we're just, we're just, we're getting there. It's slow, and it, it part of it is because they're like all the police departments are individual entities, and they don't. There's not like one thing you can pass that makes all the police officers follow this type of thing, or like if you do, it's very difficult. They're all separate entities, and so you have to deal with each one separately, and it just takes a long time. That you you have so many of the the old heads who are still in there that might have those toxic or old ways of thinking about things like, Oh, just the good old boy system running and mm-hmm. gunning and shooting from the hip. And you have those police unions that kind of like support that, that old way of thinking and policing yeah. um, that are lobbying and stuff. And yeah, so it's, I think we need to do a lot of uh, spring cleaning to get a lot of the garbage out because <laughs> if you don't do that, things are going to more or less stay gridlocked to where things don't really change. In any meaningful right. sort of way, because you have these people who are still like making the rules essentially and fighting to keep things uh, the status quo that they've always been. So yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, appreciate you being here and talking with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was, it was really fun, and I enjoy sharing uh, whatever knowledge I have to kind of bridge the gap between police and the general public. Mm-hmm.